Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Team Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're going to talk about what was behind Andy Rodriguez's rise in 2023, an update on Henry Davis after his first full professional season, and what to make of Nick Gonzalez and where he is as a prospect right now. To do all that, I'm joined by my friend and former colleague, Mark Cirelli. Uh, Mark was a web editor for us at Baseball America for a number of years. He has since moved on to another role, but he continues to do the Pirates Prospect Handbook chapter for us every year. We're glad to have him back on. Mark, good to see you, my friend. Hey, buddy. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. We're going back to 2019 here, just like old times. That's right. That's right. Mark, you've done the Pirates system for us for a number of years now, and you've seen it kind of shift and change. They went into a full-scale rebuild with the hire of Ben Charrington. And look, this is a team, just to be frank, that is not competitive in the major leagues right now. They know it. They're not pretending to be. This is about the future and building up a farm system and getting to a point where they can contend hopefully for an extended period. Uh, they're still a little bit away from doing that. But given the importance of the farm system to this franchise and its future outlook, how do you assess it right now? Well, I, I think we're finally getting to the point where you're starting to see these guys get to the upper levels. And, and it feels like, I don't want to say the clock is starting to tick yet, but you can at least see that it's coming. And, and you're starting to see a more crystallized version of, of a lot of names that I think Pirates fans are familiar with. I think when I came on this podcast last year, uh, I talked about the depth in the system and how I thought it was kind of sneaky in the mix for you all as one of the top farm systems in baseball. Um, I don't know that I would I would feel as strongly right now as I did 12 months ago. I think the depth piece is still uh, a really impressive part of this farm system, but it was a little bit of an uneven year for some of the guys at the top. But generally speaking, there's this this big cluster of, of guys who have been in the system, been in the program for a while, and now they're getting the double A, they're getting the triple A. Um, 
you know, O'Neill Cruz graduates last year and, and gets to the majors, you're starting to see it. Um, I don't think it's going to be particularly competitive this year at the major league level, but um, you get the sense that, that what's building is, is finally going to come to fruition sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's certainly a process. This is a club that has failed to win 70 games each of the last three full seasons in the majors, 69 wins, and they went 19 and 41 during the shortened 2020 season, 61 and 101 2021, 62 and 100 in 2022. So they have a ways to go. They did win the first ever draft lottery. They will have the number one overall pick this year. That will help them continue to add talent. But you're right. These, these guys are starting to progress to the upper levels of the system. And first and foremost among them was Andy Rodriguez, who at this time last year was considered an intriguing prospect, an athletic catcher they'd acquired from the Mets for Joey Lucchese. Again, interesting guy, not necessarily a top guy. He changed that this season, went from high A all the way to triple A, finished among the minor league leaders in OPS, doubles, total bases, extra base hits. Uh, really one of the more impressive seasons of any player in the minors. And with that, he's now the number one prospect in the system. What can you tell us about Andy Rodriguez? What was behind the strides he made and what he projects to be now? Yeah, well, we, you mentioned the trade with the Mets. What a haul that's looking like right now, <laughs> uh, even even compared to when we talked about Andy a year ago. Uh, but I think I think the thing with Andy Rodriguez is that um, he always kind of had those hitterish traits. He, he could always put the ball in play. I think he's hit at least 290, 292 every full season year in the minors. But you started to see that power, especially after July one. Um, tick up. And, and I think that um, it's not top of the scale exit velocity. I know that you, you posted average exit velos for every guy in the top 100 and he's at around 87 miles an hour. So it, it's middle of the road, but it's just the ability to parse through balls and strikes. I think the ability to find the barrel um, and then know which pitches to turn on and damage. And he can do it from both sides of the plate, which I, I think is obviously super valuable. Um, so he just kind of pieced it together. And I think you know, he had a really good year start to finish. That July 1st date was kind of the indicator. I think from that point on, he was maybe the most prolific kind of slugger in, in all of the minors. Um, and I think part of that was uh, just getting comfortable with with upper-level pitching, but it was also, I think, getting comfortable, too, kind of in his role. They had a better set schedule catching. He just kind of found his footing there. And I think um, as far as arrow-up guys in, in this system, he is easily the, the number one success story from, from the last 12 months. Yeah, you mentioned his role, and that's always been sort of the question with him. He's such a good athlete. It's do you leave him as a catcher? Do you let him play the outfield? How much do you move him around? And he's not the biggest guy, and that's why there are some questions about how much is he going to catch just because the long wear and tear and the grind of a full season, um, even just you know pulling him up on video at AAA this year, it's not the typical build you see from a catcher. Where is he likely to end up? What do the Pirates hope will happen? And what do opposing evaluators see as the most likely outcome? I think what the Pirates hope happens is that he he's at least 55, 60% of the time at catcher with that athleticism to kind of move around. Um, I think it's that athleticism and also I think just kind of the incremental defensive progress that at least gives you some optimism that he can make it work. Um, I think, you know, another guy we're going to talk about now is Henry Davis in a little bit. And I think that if you kind of compare and contrast them at catcher, I'd give them roughly the same kind of probability to, to stick behind the plate. Uh, I think last year, prior to the shift changes, I might have been a little more bullish on second base is kind of a significant part of that defensive pie. But he is athletic enough where, where you can squint and make it work either at second base or at left field. Uh, but I, I think that there's catching ability there. And 
uh, it was it was still raw, probably more raw than you'd want for for a guy who got the AAA at this point. Um, a lot of pass balls, but he it got better as the year went on. Uh, he gets pretty positive reviews, um, both internally and, and externally, for the way he kind of works with pitchers, for for the way he kind of controls a game. Um, so I, I think there's some optimism there, but I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be um, solely behind home plate when when all said is done. I, I think there's value in his ability to to move around for you. Yeah, absolutely. Again, got to AAA at the very tail end of last year. What's the timeline? Because we've seen the Pirates bring some guys up, especially last year, really let them get their feet wet. Is It seems like, at least from the outside looking in, there's a pretty strong chance he makes his Pirates debut and, and potentially even takes over as one of their primary catchers, maybe second half of the season. What's the timeline they're operating under? I think that's a, a totally reasonable timeline. I mean, right now it's it's Austin Hedges ahead of him on the depth chart. So um, I, I even could see him getting an opportunity here, maybe not to win a job right out of spring training, but if if he makes another positive impression, uh, maybe you get to May or June and you, you turn the keys over at least, you know, 50, 55% of the time to, to Andy Rodriguez and, and see what you got there. Absolutely. So we talked about Andy being an athletic switch hitter who produced at the upper levels of the minors and, and shows a lot of good traits. There are some really high-end talents in this system, at least from a pedigree perspective. You look at Tamar Johnson, who is considered arguably the top pure hitter in last year's draft class, went fourth overall. You have Henry Davis, who was the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. Ultimately, what was it that elevated Endy over those guys? Yeah, it's a good question. And I actually went into the fall, went into this reporting process with Endy and Tamar flipped. Um, I, I had Tamar kind of as the number one the incumbent heading in. And I think just through talking with people, both inside the system and outside, um, it's tough to ignore a lot of the positive indicators in the proximity with Endy. Um, I don't necessarily want that to, to look like a, you know, a, a knock on Jamar Johnson, but he's, he's a prep hitter who didn't face the best competition um, in high school. I know he has a lengthy um, showcase circuit history, but um, there could be some growing pains there. He's, he's a long way away. And ultimately I think, um, just kind of that mix for Andy one out, but it, it was close for a while. But as I got through the reporting process and, and kind of the more people I talked to, it was, yeah, you really should pay attention to to Andy. Like we're not ignoring it. He has certainly elevated his profile relative to maybe what people thought midway through last season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what he did and again, athletics, switch hitting, you know, at least part-time catcher. That's, that's a really, really good player. And again, he's only, you know, his age 22 season got to AAA and did what he did. Average power on base, everything across the board. So it's hard to have a better season than Andy Rodriguez <laughs> did. And, uh, you know, the profile, the age, the context, it's all in his favor too. So certainly something you can't ignore and shouldn't ignore. Um, he was a clear cut top 50 overall prospect for us at BA and, Again, even the people who say, you know, we're not sure he's a catcher, they still think he's a top 50 guy, just maybe more closer to 35, 40 than, than maybe 20. Either way, uh, a really good player that a lot of people like and think has a very bright future. Mark, you mentioned that the discussion for number one, if you will, was Andy Rodriguez and Tamar Johnson. Notably, Henry Davis was not mentioned in that discussion. And for the <laughs> most part, typically a guy that is the first overall pick in his draft after his first full season, more often than not is, is a number one type of prospect in their system. And you mentioned he wasn't really in the conversation here. 
what were the reviews of Henry Davis's first full season? He was, you know, limited by injuries, only got into 59 games. Um, but, but what ultimately pushed him kind of outside the discussion for number one overall prospect? And with that, how concerning is it? Yeah, I think, well, I, I mean, you mentioned the injuries, and I think that's a big part of it. Like, we just haven't seen a lot of Henry Davis since he got drafted because of wrist injuries, you name it. It's been two limited pro seasons so far. That played into the evaluation. I think uh, so, some people who saw him in, in Arizona were a, a little surprised maybe at some of the, the stiffness at the end of the year defensively. Um, I think that there's still a, a lot of optimism, or you can find a lot of people – who think that he can hit for power and can be a pretty good hitter. Um, so I, I think that that at least keeps you in that conversation on the periphery of number one. But um, to me, if anything, there were more questions defensively. Uh, there was questions about his ability to stay on the field. And I think there's even some questions about, is he going to either bend or adapt his approach uh, to allow him to stay on the field, to allow him to accrue at bats and to get better in, in and to get that seasoning at the upper levels because so far it hasn't happened. Yeah, you mentioned that approach and being willing to make changes. Um, what you're kind of getting at there is he was hit uh, hit by a pitch 20 times in 59 games, and some of that is where he stands and his unwillingness to back off the plate. You know, sometimes we talk about catchers having trouble staying on the field. It's because concussions or they just get so dinged up back there. For him, he's not getting dinged up when he's wearing the catcher's gear, he's getting dinged up when he's in the batter's box. Um, how much of that is a point of contention debate between him and the pirates? And, and just what are you kind of hearing on that based on your reporting? Yeah. From what I know, they've talked to him about it and they've, they've tried to get him to understand, uh, you know, it's, it's a fine line because everyone says he's a very competitive guy. And I don't, obviously you don't want to lose that if you're in, in the pirates player development, but you don't want to lose him either to games. So I, I think they've tried to get him to understand it. Um, I, I don't know. Um, how open to the the conversation? Well, I I think he's convicted in his ways. It's obviously got him um, to, to where he is. So it's a little bit of a of a give and take. But uh, it's kind of what he does. He, he bends over. He kind of hangs over the inside part of the plate. He's not going to seed uh, seed inside pitches to you. And uh, it, it's certainly been a, a conversation piece between him and Pirates player development. Yeah, in general talking to opposing scouts outside of the pirates organization. You know, one of the things that I've talked about Jeff Ponce, who saw a lot of Henry Davis has talked about and just, you know, conversations we we've picked up on with evaluators around the game is, you know, Henry Davis looks like, you know, a, a good player to be sure, not someone that, you know, the pirates took first overall and it's, you know, red flag sirens everywhere. Certainly a guy who, as you mentioned, there's some conviction can hit and hit for power, but also not a guy that, they felt like is a number one overall draft pick type of talent or type of player. What were you kind of hearing in that regard? And ultimately what does Henry Davis project to be? No, I think that's fair. I mean, I remember talking to, to one evaluator kind of near the end of the season. And um, I don't want to say they gave him a mulligan because of the injuries, but it was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to account for the fact that he could be rusty, hasn't played in a while, but to me, Andy Rodriguez at this point is notably ahead of where Henry Davis is. Um, I still think that ultimately uh, just because of the position he plays, the power potential, you're looking at, at a solid everyday catcher. Uh, if he can stay healthy, if he can remain mobile enough behind the plate. Um, and I think too, part of the thing defensively is that he has a plus plus arm. Like it, it's incredible arm strength. 
But there have been some concerns, I think, about kind of the footwork and, and, and how that has um, led to some inaccuracy. And it just hasn't allowed the arm to play maybe as much as evaluators hope to because they knew kind of what he's working with back there. So even if he could maybe throw a little bit better, it, it, maybe that helps elevate it a little bit too. So I, I still think it's, it's everyday catcher. It's a guy who's part of the core of whatever the next phase of Pirates baseball is. Um, I might stop short of, of you know, all-star catcher. You know, I, I, it's, it's more to me um, solid big leaguer than it is um, all-star type ceiling. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very fair. And, and again, in line with a lot of what we've seen and heard and, and, and our looks as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with a full season of health potentially in 2023. Like you said, maybe some of that stiffness was just rust from not playing. And maybe if he's out there, you know, somewhat more consistently, everything loosens up. We just have to see. But um, I know that's going to be one of the more interesting subplots, I feel like, of the Pirates minor league season in 2023 is you know, how often is Henry Davis on the field? What is he showing us in year two? And what adjustments has he made? Because again, clearly talented, but um, to get to that, that all-star level that you kind of hope for when you have a number one overall pick, um, there, there's some improvements that are going to have to be made. Mark, one of the more interesting guys in the system, we, we've talked about this. They have these you know high profile guys, Tamar Johnson, Henry Davis, and other guys who have really shot up, Andy Rodriguez being one of them. Luis Ortiz, now the top pitching prospect in the Pirate system, got up to the majors last year and again really vaulted over some guys that were bigger names in terms of, you know, where they were drafted, um, kind of their their pedigree and you know where they kind of ranked going into last year. What did Luis Ortiz do and, and what does he project to be moving forward? What what makes him the number one pitching prospect in the system right now? Well, I think that the number one thing he did was throw the hardest fastball that any Pirates starter had since, in the stack SR, I think, since Garrett Cole. So that's that's enough to get your, your attention <laughs> in the system. But, you know, I actually thought – I thought of you when I was thinking about Luis Ortiz because I remember that you you wrote the, the story about how the Astros had a really good track record of, of finding guys who are a little bit older uh, in the Dominican Republic uh, and developing them as pitchers when a lot of the industry kind of passed by. And I think – the Luis Ortiz timeline and that story syncs with that. And that I think he was $25,000 signed at 18, 18, 19 years old pandemic happens. Uh, and he comes back and it's, it's just elevated stuff. It's, it's easy gas mid to, to upper nineties. He, he's touched triple digits pretty, uh, pretty easily. They worked with him this year on pairing the two seam and get, getting more out of the two seam in addition to the four seam. And I think he now has two different fastballs that he feels comfortable throwing. Um, and the slider is, is it has great shape. You'd like to see him land it a little bit more, but the, the arsenal is there. And I think that uh, the last, the last kind of piece there is polish and a changeup. And that's, that's what's maybe holding him back from a guy who can turn, turn through an order, you know, in, a third time, but just kind of the building blocks there, especially when you look at, some of the other pitchers in this system uh it's the biggest upside for me of any arm and i think um you know i don't really see a, a clear-cut frontline starter in this system right now um but he's got some of the ingredients that at least make you think that he could find a home in the rotation for a while yeah, it's encouraging. Again, you can never have too much pitching depth. And as you know, the Astros have shown having the guys who are the big name guys, you know, hit and come through for you. Think about, you know, Lance McCullers was a top pick and, you know, he certainly developed into uh, the type of pitch they hope for. But also having these unheralded guys come through, it can make a huge, huge difference. And 
um, you know, developments like this are, are certainly encouraging. I, I do want to ask, how much of this, if any, do you give credit to the Pirates kind of revamping their entire player development apparatus? Because for a long time, sadly, the Pirates were known for having talented guys, but but not maybe getting the most from them or having some other guys that just never really got better. Seeing a guy like this take off as he did, how much of that do you credit to the Pirates uh, player development system? A lot. I, I think, you know, I don't want to say that it's flipped, but as you were you were talking about Henry Davis, there's injury questions. He hasn't quite performed like you would want from a number one pick. I think you could you could almost verbatim say the same thing about Nick Gonzalez. I think Leo Paguero didn't have the greatest season. The question marks at the top right now of the system for me are actually the bats. And and you start to look at Luis Ortiz, that's an arrow up. I think Quinn Priester, while he may not be a number one, I think is still really high floor. We'll, we'll get there and be part of a rotation. Um, even if you look at the work that they've done with Bubba Chandler in terms of it's a really raw prospect, but it's an elite fastball already. And you're starting to see them stack uh, building blocks on top of that. So to me, I think there are actually some encouraging signs uh, within the Pirates pitching development. I think another guy too, he's not on this list anymore, but what um, they were able to continue the momentum that the Yankees kind of unlocked is Rowanzi Contreras. And I think um, he's an interesting piece as well. So yeah, I, I you have to give their pitching development credit with Luis Ortiz. Uh, and I think that there's actually a, kind of a, a slew of interesting arms, even guys who didn't crack the 10 here. Um, if you wanted to go to like a Jerry Jones, uh, Anthony Salamedo, even, um, you know, they drafted a couple guys. Hunter Barco, I think, once he gets healthy, could be interesting. They are super high on Kyle Nicholas uh, now that he has a second year in their in their system. So um, you start to kind of peel back some of the arms, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's funny. You talk about young guys in the big leagues. Mitch Keller. I mean, Mitch Keller was Mitch a Keller, yeah. back who really, really, really struggled his first three years. And last year, you know, had a pretty solid season. His first three years, he had an ERA over six. And you know, just struggled really in every regard, you know, walks, missing bats. It was not anywhere what you thought it would be when he was coming up through the system. And last year, again, sub four ERA, you know, logged innings, strikeouts went in the right direction, walks went in the right direction. I mean, good things all around. So I, I think at the very least, you're starting to see guys make progress at all levels. And, you know, that's certainly an encouraging development for the Pirates moving forward. All right, Mark, those four are kind of the, the main guys in the system. Those are their four top 100 prospects. I want to dive into some of the other guys in the system with you. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome back to another Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with Mark Chiarelli breaking down the Pittsburgh Pirates farm system. All right, Mark, we've talked about the guys at the top of the system. You alluded to this a little bit earlier when you mentioned that some of the Pirates position players have gone backwards a little bit. And Nick Gonzalez is someone who was a top draft pick and a top 100 prospect, got to double A last year, and just his overall performance so far as a pro has been not bad, but also a little bit underwhelming. Um, He's now no longer in the top 100. He's also no longer even in the top half of this top 10, which given his draft pedigree, what was expected from him is is certainly a surprising development. Where is he in his development right now? What are evaluators seeing and what's the path moving forward for Nick Gonzalez? He's such a confounding guy, even for evaluators. I think, I think if you see Gonzalez quickly, maybe it's a quick trip in and you see him for two or three games and you see the short punchy swing and you see a lot of the the things or the quick indicators that tell you, Oh, that's, that's a hitterish guy. Like that guy's going to hit forever. But I think, some, some of the folks who have been on him either for a while or sat and watched him for a, a long period of time, you start to pick up on, man, there's a lot of swing and miss there. And there's, there's, there's some, some red flags that you don't necessarily expect. Um, he's another, I mean, like I said, we could have the same injury conversation that we had with Henry Davis, where it's just, you know, you need to be out there and he missed two months this year. He missed time in 2021. That's, that certainly hurt him. I think, um, there was there was maybe some concern even with the nagging wrist injury last year, and I don't know how that's that's impacted maybe some of the mechanical issues that that he's going through. But um, I think to some evaluators, he's a guy kind of caught in between. Is, is he chasing power? Is he more of the the hitterish guy who can who can put up ten to fifteen homers, but but hit at a two eighty clip, you know, two ninety, et cetera? Um, or is he is he going to try to put more over the fence and? and sacrifice some of the the contact ability. And right now it just kind of feels like he's in between. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the contact ability. So I went in to see Nick Gonzalez, uh, New Mexico state played Arizona state in 2020 before uh, the pandemic shut everything down. I was there for spring training, but there was a a Tuesday night game. It was freezing in Tempe. And um, I went to see it because Spencer Torkelson, Nick Gonzalez, and, one of the things I remembered seeing that kind of made me raise my eyebrows and have some questions was he was swinging and missing through 
87, 88 mile an hour fastballs from a lefty up, you know, elevated fastballs at 87, 88. He was swinging through them pretty consistently. Uh, the lefty was Eric Tolman. And again, it's early in the season. It was freezing. It's a midweek game. You know, no one's going to be at their sharpest in that environment. So kind of followed it away as, you know, this could just be, hey, it's a bad look. It's a bad environment. It's a bad setup. It happens. But it was something that I definitely noticed and didn't expect to see from a guy who had been lauded as this premium, premium contact guy. A, that he was swinging at those pitches, but B, also they just kept missing them over and over at that velocity band. I mean, how how significant are the swing and miss concerns here? Are we talking to the point that it'll prevent him from, from really being any sort of significant contributor in the big leagues? Or are we talking about it might limit him to more of a second division starter, but still a guy who plays every day? I think it's more the latter, but they they are concerned. I mean, he struck out thirty three percent of the time in his first taste against Double A. I, I I get that you're adjusting to a new level, but uh, for I believe you said premium plus plus, you know, potential hitting ability that that just doesn't you know that's a big red flag. I think that the same kind of swing and miss issues in the zone uh, continue to follow him even now, and I think there's it's paired with just some over aggressiveness and I like I think the pirates would, would like to see the swing rate and the swing rate against sliders specifically sliders that are that are going out of the zone come down a little bit. I think that's been a bugaboo for him so far. Um and then yeah he, he just has missed some fastballs in the zone that that you know I think evaluators who are just watching him wouldn't expect him to hit. Uh, all that said I the, there are still people who look at him and say he puts the bat on the ball, you know, there's maybe average power ability you know, it's a guy who's going to get there and he's going to get an opportunity. I, I think the second division regular uh, is probably more fair. Uh, I think I wrote in his scouting report that the ceiling of still a solid first division guy is there, but there's just some question marks. Um, and, and this has been no secret for him, you know, since he since you saw him in college, it, it's most of the value is going to be tied to that bad. I don't, I don't think he's anything more than um, kind of a, a functional at best second baseman who you can stick out there. But um yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag right now. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the power. I, I did see that when I saw him in the fall of this year, you know, hit a home run opposite field. I mean, drove it out to, to straightaway right right field. So, I mean, it's funny. You thought he'd be more of a contact bat, but now there's more thump in there. And you look across his minor league line, he's got a 506 slugging percentage, which was not really the hitter you thought he'd be. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do. And, and like you said, part of it is, is staying on the field. Um, he's, he's had trouble with injuries and even this was an abbreviated season for him. So, you know, we'll see, but um, certainly a guy, like I said, that, you know, prominent, a lot of people liked him. A lot of scouts has really good track records really believed in him. So um, it's going to be just really interesting to see if he can cut that swing and miss rate down double a triple a. And, and if he will be a part of the pirates future, Mark, one other guy in this top 10, now we're going to shift back to the positive and surprise, surprise, it's another <laughs> pitcher, um, who who kind of popped up a little bit in some ways this year and, and really did have a strong season, at least the double-A level, was was Mike Burrows. Um, again, sure. this is a guy who, you know, 11th round high school pick, um, you know, had been a prospect in the top 30s before, but was never necessarily considered one of their top, top guys. Uh, went out this year, 22-year-old in double-A and just flat-out dominated got the bump to AAA, um, you know, got hit a little bit harder there, but all in all, still a pretty good season. A lot of whiffs, perfectly fine strikeout, uh, walk rate, excuse me. Um, the stuff looked good. What's kind of the review on him and, you know, how realistic was this breakout? I actually remember around the, at the Futures game reading what BA had to say about him 
uh, and lumping him in with some of the best, you know, raw stuff of anyone they saw at the Futures game. Uh, and that was certainly an indicator. He, he's been, since since the pandemic, he's been a data darling, I think I wrote, within within their system uh, because of the carry on the fastball and the spin rates. Uh, the, the curveball is this mid-70s, kind of 12-6, almost old-school looking curve. Um, and he tunnels it well, and, and it's just those two pitches work really well together, and they work really well in short bursts. Um, th- what he has been tasked with is throwing the changeup enough and throwing it effectively where you can look at him and, and envision some kind of starter role as opposed to a, a two-inning hammer out of the bullpen, you know, the, kind of the bulk bulk guy that you can deploy uh, at will in, in winnable games. So I, I think the stuff is really loud. Uh, there's some injury concern there too. Uh, I think he missed time in 2021 with an oblique injury. There's been some shoulder issues. So I think some, some concerns over whether he can hold up over the course of the year that he still has to answer. Uh, but as far as, you know, the, the fastball with high spin that you can dot kind of upper half, pair that with the curveball that, that a lot of guys swing and miss through, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. Given the two pitches, the health track record, is the bullpen the most likely destination for him? I I think, and a lot of it hinges too on on what kind of team the Pirates are in two or three years. But I think if you are to look at this wave of talent coming through and start to envision a path back to contention, I think Burroughs ultimately makes sense um, in that two to three inning. I'm based in Boston, so an easy comp might be like a Garrett Whitlock type guy at at the back of the bullpen. Uh, he's got nasty stuff, but you, you throw him every every three days as opposed to five and. Uh, I think that would be a pretty good outcome for him. Mark, one of the more fascinating players in this top 10, and I know we're kind of bouncing back to the middle of the 10, but I have to ask about him just because he's so fascinating, is Bubba Chandler. Uh, Bubba Chandler. Two-way standout in high school, was committed uh, to play quarterback at Clemson, signed with the Pirates, went out this year, uh, did a little bit of both, spent some time on the mound, got some time in the batter's box, struggled at the plate, got on base, um, but you know didn't hit for average or much power, where – on the mound, he was you know, impressive in some ways. I mean, didn't get hit a ton, um, missed a lot of bats, was a little wild. The walks were higher than he wanted to see. But again, just kind of this great athlete, raw ball of clay, doing a little bit of both. Uh, what were the thoughts on him after his first professional season and, and what's kind of the path for him moving forward? Is it as a two-way guy? Is it as a p- pitcher, position player? <laughs> what, what's next? Well, he – I mean – we we wrote about it plenty when he was a draft prospect. He is a sick athlete, and I think that the Pirates even were were I don't want to say surprised, but he came into I believe spring training last year and tested amongst the best athletes in the system in any number of things. Like it, we're we're talking about just a, a special type of athletic guy. Um, as far as the two way thing goes, most evaluators I talk to are willing to acknowledge that there is raw power there with a healthy amount of skepticism that a, he has the time to ever, you know, get to the point where he can access it enough and be whether that's worthwhile because of um, the ingredients that, that you mentioned uh, pitching at his fastball, 95 to 97, uh, kind of similar to Burroughs in terms of carry already. He could throw it for strikes. I mean, I, I know it's against lower level hitting and you can kind of get by on a fastball like that sometimes for, for a couple innings at a time. Uh, but he was throwing it right by people this year, and he was holding that velo deep into starts, despite uh, this really being his first full year in a in a starting pitcher workload. Um, so I think that was very encouraging. Like you said, the, 
the walks are a little bit of a concern, but I, I mean, when you're talking about that kind of athlete, you combine that with the age and, and you hope that he can iron it out and get it to a point where um, the fastball plays, his changeup is pretty good. And I think that um, he was kind of in between at times, I think a curveball or a slider. And I think they've gotten it to a point now where um, they've settled on a shape in a, in kind of the preferred breaking ball. And now he's just got to actually go out there and repeat it and do it over, over consecutive starts and whatnot. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of really exciting things on the mound. Yeah. I remember coming out of the draft, uh, talking to some evaluators who were just saying, you know, he's, he's so raw. And that was the thing about him that there was a time when he was getting, you know, mocked in the first round a little bit. But when I talked to high level decision makers, they were saying, you can't take this guy in the first round because it's so raw but you can dream on the athlete. And you mentioned the control. That is something that'll have to come. But, you know, if he does just start focusing solely on pitching, more reps, more experience, you know, that's a situation where, yeah, you could definitely see them coming down there. You mentioned most evaluators think that is probably going to be the best path for him just developmentally. Have the Pirates given any indication of, of when they would make that decision to just let him do one thing versus both? What, what does that kind of timeline look like? So they hadn't made it yet as far as when I was kind of going through this chapter, the party line was he is athletic enough and has enough power and he shows enough for us to at least allow him the opportunity to continue to do it. Um, I think reading between the lines, they see him as a, as a pitcher first. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, like he, he didn't play in the field at all this past year. I think we've kind of given up on the, the shortstop thing. So um, you might be able to squeeze another year out of it, but uh, I think at some point a decision will have to be made, and, and I would bet that it's putting him on the mound full time. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what he can do with his attention fully on pitching, given what he did just this year again in terms of the stuff, in terms of you know not giving up a lot of hits, in terms of how many strikeouts he racked up while splitting his his time and his attention. I think that just speaks to the very, very, very lofty potential he has on the mound. Mark, you mentioned some really good players who are not in the top 10 just by virtue of how good this system has become. Again, that's intentional. They're in a rebuild, and, and you should have a deep system given all the moves they've made with trades and collecting high draft picks. Um, but Jared Jones, Anthony Solomeno, Kyle Nicholas, these, these are good players who are real prospects. I mean, how many guys were in the mix here for the top 10? You know, how many guys were locked for the top 10, and how many other guys were in the mix, would you say? I think that I ended on – 14 or 15 names that I think all had reasonable arguments to at least consider them at the back of the top 10. Um, you know, it's interesting as I was preparing for this pod and even, even going back through, we've talked a bit about how the guys at the top, there's the, the Davis and the Gonzalez, and you'd like to see them take a step forward and kind of reach uh, the ceiling, right? Like right now I'm looking at the system and seeing a ton of depth, but you, you'd love to see one or two guys take that leap it kind of rise back up a top 100 list or whatnot and feel better about um, this rebuild project. That said, I, when I look at the full 30, I see a lot of guys that I think have have a good chance to be functional big league players at some point. Like the, I think that the that list of 15 ends at, at Jared Triolo, I think I had him 15th when I turned him in. And, and to me, he's you know, maybe in, in some weaker systems, he has a case at the back of the 10. He, he misses it here, but that's still a guy who can play multiple multiple positions, great eye, great contact. That's a useful player. Um, so they, they do have a lot of depth depth in the system, which I think um, is a is an encouraging thing. Um, and I would say, yeah, Jared Jones, Jared Triolo, 
Anthony Salamento were were the names where you kind of the line stops right under them as far as uh, top ten consideration at least at least for me. Yeah, I mean all those guys again. I'm thinking about some of the systems at the back of our list. They would they would all be in there. I think they might be the Braves number one, two, and three prospect. <laughs> um, you know, so again, there's there there is depth here, and and now it's a matter of okay, getting a group to the majors, and then maybe using the leftovers for trades whenever the time comes. That time is not now. This is still a team in the middle of their rebuild. They're not really at the end or approaching the end. Mark, those 15, you know, that that top 15 was kind of clear cut, but there are always interesting guys at the back. Who are some sleepers in the back half of the list you think uh, would be good to keep an eye on and, and could maybe pull Luis Ortiz and rock it up into the top 10 this time next year? Sure. I, I've got two. One of them, I've been, it's been kind of a, a favorite of mine, even dating back to last year, going through this process, process is uh, Daryl Lopez. Um, I think that I had him, I turned him in, in, in the early twenties. Um, there's a, there's a really intriguing hitter there between the power potential, um, uh, the contact ability, the actions, the ability to go the other way, his sweet spot is probably right center, which, um, he played high a Greensboro that can be kind of deceiving at times too. So you don't want to maybe overread the home away splits, but I think, uh, above average power potential, I think average to above average hitting ability. And, and there's some athleticism there, although it's unclear to me where he ends up in the field. I think he, he's played third base. He's played shortstop. He, he's outgrown shortstop at this point. He makes maybe too many mistakes right now in the field to trust him on the left side. But but he's a guy that, that you'll find in the 20s uh, on a list like this that I think has some um, intriguing characteristics. And I know that a couple of evaluators I talked to with other teams were kind of keeping tabs on him. Uh, I think he was, he was rule five eligible. He, he probably wasn't a serious rule five candidate, but uh, he, he's a guy who he gets blocked, you know, in, in this rebuild in, in Pittsburgh. I think there's, there's a couple other organizations that, that liked him. Um, and then uh, one guy he, who kind of jumped on the scene and surprised me, it's a, it's a teenage catcher named Axial Plaz. I mean, I'm sure there's there's a million dart throws that we've had on podcasts like this in the past about guys who who tore it up at the, the DSL or whatnot and then came over to full season ball and had to make adjustments. But I know he impressed a lot of people uh, within the system. Uh, he, he had a great summer. He went into instructs. Uh, I know he impressed some of the, the hitting evaluators there as far as a guy who looked older than he is. Solid. Uh, bottom half uh, power potential. They think he can stick at catcher. So that's a, that's a late twenties sleeper. You just kind of, I would tuck away as a, if you're really looking for, for 16, 17, 18 year old guys who could potentially pop um, in a year or two. Uh, he was a favorite of mine. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, those DSL dart throws, as you mentioned, um, sometimes they turn out to be not a whole lot, but every now and then one of them really, really clicks. Mark, to kind of wrap it up here, the question I think every Pirates fan wants to know is, okay, we've been hearing about this great farm system and all these top picks who are big names, you know, top 10 overall guys, in some case, cases, the number one overall pick or top five overall picks. When is it going to turn into a winning club in the major leagues? As we talked about, the Pirates have had four straight losing seasons, not just losing seasons. It's not like they've gone 80 and 82, 79 and 83. I mean, they have failed to win 70 games um, since 2018. They haven't finished higher than fourth in the division since 2016. So what is the time frame here for this team to get back to uh, just a winning record? Let's start with that before we talk about playoff contention. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it happens this year. I think, I think a lot of the guys that you want to want to 
pitch this rebuild on are going to be in triple a this year double a triple a uh maybe they're up by the end of the year like maybe a priester sneaks up there um you mentioned to henry davis i think andy rodriguez will, will have a shot at some point earlier this year so they're coming I also think as you just kind of step back, you mentioned that they have they have an opportunity, the number one pick in the draft, to add one more blue chipper at the top. And I think depending on what they want to do with Brian Reynolds, you would think that's one last chance for a, a talent infusion into the system. And then for me, you're kind of hitting hyperdrive. And it's time to go and it's time to see what you got. Um, so I think 500, probably not this year. I think it's at next year that's a reasonable expectation. I, mean, I know a lot can change. The NL Central is not. It's not exactly uh, murderous rows. So I think that, you know, you, you could look next year and start to get optimistic. But um, I think this crew of guys coming through the system still needs another probably full year of seasoning at the upper levels before it's, it's time to really start um, looking at them in the majors. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. Again, I, I know we're all going to be really curious to see what the Pirates do with the number one overall pick uh, this upcoming draft. And also, you mentioned Brian Reynolds. I uh, reportedly asked for a trade. Um, you know, He's been rumored to have been on the block for a while. Um, he's still a Pittsburgh Pirate as of today. And we'll see how that, that all sorts itself out and, and what it means for the Pirates and really both their present and their future. Mark, uh, before we go here, any final thoughts on this system, this organization, anything at all? No, it's a fun one. I think I think you you nailed it as far as if, if Davis and Gonzalez can t- take a step forward this year and kind of return to where we envisioned them maybe two years ago, even at the beginning of twenty twenty one. I think the system looks a lot different at the top. Um, so that's probably the the number one thing that I'm I'm watching for this year. Absolutely, we'll all be keeping an eye on it for sure. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to see you again. Good to have you back on, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon again for the A's. Thank you, sir. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mark Chiarelli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody.